All right, very good. Good to see you guys all this morning. Um, man, you guys know that on Sunday mornings, I told you before that I spend most of Sunday morning praying, and, and, and a big part of what I pray about is like, God, will you please show me exactly how you want me to start this message? I've got the message. I know the gist. I know the outline. You see, I posted on Facebook, both on our, our uh, Driftwood site, my site. Uh, I've given it to JJ and Ashley. It's all there. But I, I want to know, how does God want me to start this? And so today he's given me um, not so much an illustration, but really a testimony from my life that I haven't really shared with much of you. Some of you might have, have heard it before in uh, small group, but it is exactly, I don't, I got to be, I got to be obedient. And so I'm, I'm going to be very uh, PG rated with this because there's kids in here and uh, uh, Terry's going, yes, yes, okay. So, but, but I don't come from a PG background, you know, so, um, and, and it's nothing that I'm proud of. It's nothing that I'm like, oh, bragging on because for everyone that escaped my lifestyle, there, there are literally millions of them that haven't, and, and I know, man, I've, I've watched them die. I've watched them. I still converse with a lot of people, and so, so again, it's not that I'm bragging. If I'm bragging on anybody, I'm bragging on God, and, and, and I want to show, uh, there's a principle that goes with the scripture we're studying today, and that's why I'm sharing this story. So in no way am I teaching you how to do something because what I did was wrong, um, so, uh, <coughs> and again, don't be thinking, <coughs> well, Pastor Eddie did that and got away with it so I can do it. No, dude, I'm telling you, it does not. This is not. This is. But I know this is what I'm supposed to share with you guys. Now, many of you know I grew up on the west side of Orlando. I grew up in Pine Hills. That's called Crime Hills now. In fact, if you were to go to the west side of Orlando to Pine Hills, if you were to look at a realistic map, Pine Hills is actually called the war zone now. That's literally what they call it because crime is so bad. And it's always been full of drugs and everything that goes with selling drugs because uh, just like our hood in Fort Pierce, if you um, are a rival drug dealer, then you will get killed. You will get shot. You could be anything else. You'd be walking down with tons of cash, bags of cash, and, and, and be a pretty blonde girl, whatever you want to be. And you can walk down and not be touched. Because there's nothing that, that you're competing with. They, they have more cash than you down in the hood. There's more everything. But if you're a rival drug dealer, things happen. And so that's kind of the place where I grew up. How many of you ever watched? But I grew up from a different little kind of part of that. How many of you ever saw the, the show, My Name is Earl? And I'm not recommending watching it. My Name is Earl. That, that's my neighborhood. <laughs> that was Orla Vista, just right next to Pine Hills, where the thought process was just different. And I grew up in this, and the only thing that ever even got me out of it was playing baseball in college that got me away. But, you know, you can take the boy out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the boy. And the point is, is that Christ is what saved me and what changed me, and that's where this is all going. But I want to tell you a monumental moment in my life. I, somewhere between Christmas of 1987... And June 27th, 1988, which was the day that I actually knelt down with a deacon from the First Baptist Church of Pine Hills uh, and prayed the sinner's prayer after hearing the Romans wrote and knew for sure on that day, June 27th, 1988, that I'd given my life to Christ and I had eternal life. Prior to that, in Christmas 87, I got my first Bible and all I wanted to do, God gave me the desire for that Bible. I started reading it and it's been, where has this been my whole life? And it took those six months for God to put it all together 
to get me to the point where he needed to have me. And uh, so somewhere in between there, there was a monumental moment. Now, my brother, I have a brother who um, was 14. I just buried him, but about maybe six, seven, eight, nine months ago, got privileged to do his funeral and heard the cool things God had done through him. But my brother had been in and out of jail his whole entire life. He was 14 years older than me. My brother started me smoking weed when I was in fifth grade. Go out fishing. He's like, here, take this with your buddies and whatever else there was. My brother got kicked out of the Marine Corps because they couldn't control him. And, my, and, and he, was, he got sent to Vietnam in 1968 by a judge that said, you either go get your toothbrush and come to jail or get your parents to sign the papers and go to Vietnam because he was in trouble all the time. And the judge was tired of seeing him. And that was my brother. And he's 14 years older than me. And my brother, I said, started to be smoking weed when I was in fifth grade. I was an athlete. And yet I got used to in, in that lifestyle and, um, uh, and, and every other thing that there was. Um, my mom died my senior year of high school. Went in, went in, my, uh, in uh, October and that was my senior year. I had all kinds of scholarship things, people following me. And it was a rough year because at the end of that year, I had no colleges really wanting me because of the way I responded in a wrong way. I wasn't a believer and, and, and had grief. And I didn't know how to deal with all of that stuff. And so, man, life was kind of a mess at that, uh, uh, in all of that. Um, so, man, I'm not going to go all the way back into everything, but... So I just want you to know that's kind of where I'm coming from. I, I, I was part of what made Pine Hills Crime Hills growing up. I got sent to college to play baseball, but I brought it all right there, and I influenced everybody around me. As you know, I'm kind of an influencer. I've been talking people into doing things that they really normally wouldn't do for a long time. Anybody ever been on a paddleboard tour with me? <laughs> you know, I'm just saying that's kind of the way I've been my whole entire life. But Christmas of 1987... I drug my dad back to the Catholic church where we grew up. I went through 12 years of Catholic school and found out later my mom had promised God that in the 11 years that she didn't have kids, that if God gave her another son, she'd make him a priest. I didn't find that out until I got ordained into the Protestant ministry. And then my sister said, you have blown it. You have totally blown it. Now you can't be a priest. I'm like, dude, I think mom's going to be cool with this, you know? And, and so, so again, Christmas 87, I drug my dad back into church. And I said, dad, man, I just, mom always said, if there's, if things aren't going right, if things aren't going right, check your relationship with God. And I realized for the first time, no matter every time I got up to bat, hey, you'll appreciate this. Every time I got up to bat, I would do this, man. <laughs> and it was nothing more than my lucky charm. It wasn't a relationship. It was like, okay, well, this worked for some of the pros. And I, I had mind, mindfulness of God. I had a religion. But, I, but at that Christmas 87, those words rung in my head where my mom said, if things are not going right, think about your relationship with God. And I realized I did not have a relationship with God. I had a lucky charm. I had gotten a DUI back prior in 87. It was like, all right, God, you get me out of this. Get me out of jail in the keys. Get me up here. Get some favorable things. I'll start going to church. You know, it was a lucky charm thing for me. And I realized at that point, I had no relationship with a living God. I had a religion that was my lucky charm. Did I say that? <laughs> yeah. And that's where I was. And I said, dad, let's go back to church. My, my dad wasn't living a very holy lifestyle and, and, for, and he was the whole time he was married to my mom before she passed away. But he was grieving and 
to had other things to replace, you know, his grieving with and so on, which we're going to talk about in the scripture today. But all that stuff's going on. He's like, oh, I don't want. So I drug him back to church and we were there at church and it was like probably Thanksgiving or so. And I look at the bulletin and the Catholic bulletin there. And I saw on the back of Catholic study Bible. And I said, Dad, if I don't get anything for Christmas, that's what I want is a Bible. I had never had a Bible in my entire life. And it was the Holy Spirit of God giving me that desire at that time. My dad's like, what, are you going to be a priest? I said, no, Dad, I like girls. I'm not going to be a priest. And, uh, and so, so he got me that Bible, Christmas 87, dude. And I started opening it up. And how many of y'all highlight? Anybody highlight in your Bible? You highlight? Man, I, here's where I was. I highlighted this first. I highlighted the next verse. You know what? When you open that Bible up, it's all highlighted. So nothing's highlighted. And you know what God showed me? It's like everything in his word was a highlight. I was getting high off his word. I had opened it up and like, where has this been my entire life? Oh, oh my goodness. I had now a desire to live by it, a desire to follow it. And, and, and I realized all these things my mom used to say to me and I'd make fun of her and go, oh, Confucius say. She'd give me all these wise sayings. And I, how many of y'all remember that movie or that show Kung Fu with David Carradine? Remember that? And, she'd, and, and he would get this wise advice. Oh, grasapa, you know, and say, I used to joke with mom. She'd give me this wise advice. Never tell me where she got it. I didn't know she got it from the Bible. I thought she's getting it from Kung Fu, man. And I'd be like, oh, grasapa said, you know, I'd make fun of her. I'd even get up at school and be brother Ed's Bible revival. I made fun of preachers, made fun of all this stuff. But man, God knew he was preparing me. I got that Bible and all of a sudden, all these things I had been learning from my mom and so on, man, they're right there in the word of God. And I think sometimes we take that word of God for granted. I don't ever want to take it that way. And I started reading it. I started going to every church in Orlando. I walked into some little black churches over in a section of town that only I could go to because I bought drugs over there. And I walk in and they thought I was some modern white day prophet because I wasn't afraid to go. And I'm not being racist. I'm just saying I could go anywhere in Orlando. And I even got kicked out of Benny Hinn's church because I walked up to him at the, at, at, after one of the services. I didn't know, man. I didn't, I'm, I'm too dumb to be scared. I didn't know he was famous. I knew he was on TV, but I saw him at the end. There was nobody. And I walk up and I said, hey, I'm new at this Bible thing. Man, I'm reading this and you're saying this, but I'm not questioning you. Help me understand. He said, how dare you question the man of God? Get out of here. He had guys pick me, you know, grab my arms and escort me out. But by the same token, I went to the Catholic church and I had a meeting with the priest. And I'm not saying they're all like this, but this one it was, the one I grew up in. And I went and I said, Father, I said, man, I, I, I'm reading the Bible. This is a Catholic study. Dude, you can even open it up. There's a picture of the Pope in the front. Maybe I'll bring it and show you next week because I still have it. And, and man, I said, I'm reading this. And, I'm, you know, you don't preach much from it. You know, you, you did preach the other day, you know, something from it. But you give these homilies, different things. I said, but I'm reading this. And I need to understand it. And I said, this is what I'm reading. Can you help me understand it? I'll never forget what he says. He said, well, man. He said, this is not like the main thing. The Bible's not really the main thing. It's one of many things. He said, there's, there's other councils that have decided this and decided that and all this. And he said, you can't really understand the Bible. That's what we're for, to teach you what the Bible says. I said, well, then teach me. And that's what he was teaching me. And, and when, but in my heart of hearts at that point in time, I had read, been reading God's word and I'd been saying, where's it been all my life? And I knew that I could understand the word of God. 
I was now going to be answering to God based on what I was hearing from the word. And I walked out thinking, I'm never going back there again. And it's because he won't teach me the word. And he's telling me I can't understand it. And now I know that I can't. So Christmas 87 was monumental. I'm reading the word of God. It's blowing me away. I'm highlighting every single verse because every there was no verse that didn't just blow me away. And I got to say, that's not changed. And so I've got that. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm rolling with God. My room, I, I quit my job. I had, I was, anybody ever hear of a place called Old Town in Kissimmee? It's a mile and a quarter east of Disney World. When it first opened, there was Key West Restaurant in the front. We had blowing in the wind kite shop. We had a kite shop right up front. Huge, man. And, and we, had, we had a kite shop because that was uh, some people I knew in St. Augustine. We opened this thing up, worked 24-7. We stayed high all the time. We had these little brass tubes and we'd put some weed in and go in the bathroom and go... <laughs> And then we blow it out thinking it was going through air vents. But I had all these cloth kites in the kite shop. Now, thinking back, oh, my goodness. No wonder people love walking in that shop. They walked in like, oh, high as a kite. I mean, literally, dude. And, and again, I'm not talking about weed, you know, like, oh, it's good, bad, and different. I'm just saying this is where I was. I stayed high because if I stayed high, I didn't have to think about all the other things that I really needed to think about. And I was working from nine in the morning till nine at night, partying with tourist people, you know, uh, having everything a 25 year old young man could ever want of girls, parties, adventure, different things. But it was empty inside. I quit that kite shop because I was empty. I had everything a 25 year old man could want, dude. I'm not, I, girls from the strip club were in my apartment and they wanted to marry me. <laughs> they were like, you're different. You're not like the guys that come in. You're different. Man, we want to marry. I'm like, no, dude, I'm trying to figure this all out. I quit that job, got my out of, I bought myself, I got myself out of my managing partner position and I went back and lived with my dad in the West Side in Pine Hills in a little house in the middle of Crime Hills. Went there and lived, thought I needed a new career. I was doing art shows and thought that I needed to now become an architect because that was the only way I was ever going to make money doing art because I wasn't making any money doing my other art. My bedroom, I took beds out, got easels all over the place, and I put a hammock in. Not much has changed, but um, I, I had a hammock, and, and, and that's, that was kind of my, my room in my dad's house. And so here I am living there. I started taking a drafting class at Valencia Community College at the time is what it was called, and I'm going to all these different churches. I'm feeding myself. I'm re listening on TV. I had a passion and a hunger for his word like you couldn't believe. That's all I wanted. Like Alana wants. What does Alana want from you? Milk, right? That's it. Dude, that's how I want it. You're going to see that in scripture today. That's all I wanted was his word. And it was alive. It was like, where has this been? It was there. And so that's where I was. And all of a sudden, my brother shows up from over in Brooksville. He shows up one day. And it's just me and him about halfway through all this. And he's like, hey, he said, uh, you got any weed? You got anything to smoke? Let's get high. Because I sort of tried to keep the Rasta thing going. I'm like, oh, dude, it's natural. And again, I'm, I'm not talking about whether it's right or wrong for you or whatever. I'm saying for me, I'm giving you my pilgrimage in this. And I'm, I, I, so I gave up alcohol i gave up cocaine gave up pill i gave up everything because i had no desire anymore I, I didn't want the trouble of all that junk anymore 
You know me, I'm an extreme person. Can you imagine me drunk? Dude, you don't want to imagine that. Literally, the Bible says that you're either raging or a fool, and I was both at the same time because I was that extreme. And so anyways, in all this, so man, I'd still try to keep the Rasta thing going because I'd been, you know, kind of bringing weed back from the Bahamas and smoking different. And I was actually going to actually had a, I was going to actually go buy a sailboat in June and I was going to go sail to the Bahamas and I was going to preach the gospel to all the people I met over in the anchorages <laughs> because I knew they needed the message I had. But the last thing I kept on to was weed for me. I kept weed because it was like, oh, that's the Rasta thing. It's all cool, man. It's all natural. It's all good. And, and again, that's where I was. So my brother shows up. And he's like, oh, you got any weed, man? He come. I said, what are you doing here from Brooksville? He said, there's nothing nowhere. This whole community's dry. He said, I've been calling all my buddies in Orlando for cell phones, pagers, any of that. Man, I've been calling everybody, nothing. And he's like, do you know of anybody? I said, no, Frank, I'm not really involved in all that stuff too much anymore. I said, if you had some, I'd be good with it, you know? He's like, all right, he's talking to everybody. All right. He said, we need to take your car because I just got dropped off here because I don't have a license or a car. He's 14 years older than me, and I'm 25 at the time. And he's like, all right, so I got a little bit of money, but how much money do you have? I said, dude. He's like, here's how much you need. And I'm thinking, he talked me into it. And, I, and, 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 and we got enough money together. I convinced my ATM to give me money that I didn't have. Anybody ever done that before back in the ATM days? If you were a drug addict, you did. <laughs> if, you had, if you had to buy some drugs or you needed something and you wanted it bad enough, you convinced your ATM. There were ways to get your ATM to give you money that you don't have and you'll deal with it later. And I was good at that. I figured it out. I was like, all right, Frank, dude, we get this. And I said, where are we going? He took me. Anybody familiar with Orlando? All right, Apopka. All right, Apopka isn't what Apopka used to be or isn't what it is now. Dude, we went out in the middle of the woods, dude. And I've got my little, my little car. I had a Volks, uh, man, what did I even have? I had a Toyota at the time, but I had my little car and we're going out in the woods down a woodsy trail. And I'm like, Frank, where are we going? He's like, just keep going. There's a dude in the trailer in the middle of the woods. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, and we're going to buy. And he had this massive quantity. And I'm thinking, dude, I'd go to prison. You've already been there. I haven't. I don't want to go. And, and, and we get in the middle of the woods. I spend money I didn't have. And we have this giant bag of weed, man. And the whole way home, I'm just thinking like, what an idiot. We're, oh, this has got to be the devil. I, pull, I drive all the way back home and I get in the house and I'm like, oh, why did I do this? This is stupid. I'm going to learn from this. I'm not messing with it again. So he gave me my part and had a little teak turtle. That was my little stash thing. My brother's like, oh, hey, hey, we going to get... No, I'm like, Frank, I don't want to do anything right now. I went in my room and I laid in the hammock and I opened the Bible up. And I started opening... I started reading the Word of God. And you know what happened? Gary, you know what happened when I started reading the Word of God? I got high off the word of God. Oh, my goodness. I start reading the word of God, and it was like, oh, this is better than any high I've had on any drug, any alcohol, any anything I've ever experienced. And God said, yeah, it is, isn't it? I was like, dude, you know what would be really cool? <laughs> this is stupid, Don't, but I haven't done this ever again. I said, you know what would be really cool? What if I twisted up a big fat one and lit it and I got high off that and off the word of God? That sounds stupid, y'all, but it made perfect sense at the time for me. And so 
I rolled up a big joint and I lit it and I started reading the word of God. And as I started getting high off the weed, I didn't get high off the word anymore. And God spoke to my heart at that point. This is what I want you to hear. I'm not bragging on this. I'm not glorifying any of that. Please don't take it. I'm just telling you where I really was with all of this. At that point, God spoke to my heart louder than audibly. And he said, you are either going to get high off this stuff or you are going to get high off me. Did you get that? He said, you're going to either get high off this stuff or you're going to get high off me. One or the other. And he said, are, are, do you have to, for, for me, do you have to go out in the middle of a popka and risk losing your life? Do you have to risk getting caught by the cops? Well, not yet, but, you know, do you, do you have to trick your bank account? Do you have to do all? And so I had all of this consequences from this. And at that point in time, I made it says, God, I want to get high off you. I opened my door. My brother could smell something like, oh, yeah, you know, because if you've ever done drugs, you know, people always want to do somebody else's drugs before they do their own, right? And so he's like, oh, yeah. And all of a sudden he saw me with my entire half of my stash that, that we split. And I'm walking down the hallway. And my brother's like, what are you doing? Because he thought he was coming out to see him. What are you doing, man? What are you? And I said, I didn't say a word. He knew the only thing at the end of that hallway was a bathroom. And he gets up and flies up and he's meeting me at the bathroom. And I'm literally dumping everything I just went in debt. I'm dumping everything in the toilet. I'm dumping it there because I made the decision right then and there. Yours may not be weed. Yours may be something else. But I made the decision right then and there. I'm getting high off God and I'm not getting high off anything else at this point. And that was 30 something years ago, 33 or so years ago. And I said, I'm getting and, and, and I walk in there and I'm dumping it. And I see my brother trying to grab it. I'm flushing it, wishing it would flush faster. I literally this day can watch my brother who was almost 40 years old. I envision him right there. You know how the toilet circles when it flushes? He's down there just grabbing stuff out of the toilet, just putting it in the sink, trying to get it out. And I'm like, Frank, no, stop. It's no good for you either. And it flushed and whatever he couldn't. He's like, you're an idiot. I can't believe you just did this. You know how much trouble we get. You know what we just risk. You know what we spend. I'm like, yes. And that's why I was so stupid. And then listen, this is what I did next. <laughs> right next to the toilet was a bathtub. It was a real small little cracker house, man. And I get in the bathtub and I turn the shower on, have my clothes on and everything. He said, now what are you doing? And I said, dude, this is kind of like my baptism. I said, from this point on, I'm getting high off Jesus and not this. Now, look, this is the reason I'm sharing this illustration with you is for what he said next. He was like a modern day prophet and didn't know it. But at that point, he says, you know what? I've been through every recovery program there is. I beat every single one of them. I know. He said, you're no better than me. You're no better than me. You're just like me. All you did, Ryan, is he said, you replaced your drug. He said, Jesus is your drug now. Yeah, but dude, I'm in love with Jesus. And that'd be like calling my wife something bad. When he said, Jesus is your drug. And all I thought of was how nasty drugs were because he healed me from that. Man, I wanted to punch him in the face. I'm like, stop talking about Jesus like that. He's not that drug. He's better, you know. And, and he said, no, you, all you did was replace your drugs with Jesus. Jesus is your drug. And again, I fought him at that. I'm like, no, no, no. But for the next 30, I think three years, is it? Since 1987, 
for the next 30 something years, you know what Jesus has been for me? My drug. And the longer I'm in it, the more people I'm ministering to, the more people I try to help see life from God's perspective, the more I try to see life from God's perspective, you know what I find? Jesus is the only drug. Whatever you would use a drug, I can't tell you how many people I've seen come out of recovery, out of whatever, and all they do is replace it with another drug. Oh, yours may not be some controlling sub. Yours might be shopping. Yours might be eating. Yours might be the internet. It, it, yours might even be distraction. You know how many executives I've met who distraction is their drug? You know why they're workaholics? Because they don't want to think about anything else. That's their drug. A drug that addiction is anything where you can escape and not have to deal with what you need to deal with. And you know who, you, who needs to be your drug? Whether it's legal, illegal, whether it's weed or whether it's distraction, whether it's whatever it is, you know who your drug needs to be? Answer me. Jesus, he needs to be it. And that's where we're looking at here. When we get into this little section, the beginning of first of first Peter, chapter two, Peter is dealing with persecuted people. He says, guys, I know persecution has started in our area pretty good, but it's nothing yet. People were, were getting used as torches in garden parties. The Christians denounced your faith or they were turning them loose in the Colosseum. The, the, just the children and women, not the men. The men, they were lighting on fire live. And the women and children, they were thrown in the Colosseums and people were betting and watching as sport to see how quick it would take for them to get eaten. You know, that's the world they're living. Peter's saying, yeah, just stay Christian. It, 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 all you had to do is announce Christ, Nikki, and it wouldn't happen to you. What would you do? What would you do? You and Ryan get ready to get thrown into the, in, into the lion's den, man. Would you, and again, you can't answer that right now. You can when it happens because God will give you grace when it happens. But it was persecution. He said, and then you ain't seen nothing yet. It's getting ready to get worse, guys. But stand for your faith. You have eternal life. You have a home in heaven. And can anybody take our home in heaven? No. How long does our eternal life last for? forever he said you're already set you're here for such a short period of time and eternity is huge you've got a limited time to show jesus how much you love him right now through your obedience and it'll benefit you and it'll bring more people into the kingdom and one day when you're in the kingdom you'll find out that's all that really matters this little bit of teeny time that you're here doesn't really matter compared to eternity what matters is what you do with it and if you live for this place, once you're gone, it's gone. It's gone. So he says, you know what? Right now, there's people being mean to you. There's people hurting you. That's what he's telling people. There's people hurting you really bad. Hey, so when we get hurt, what is our natural response when someone hurts us? Yeah, either hurt them back, but, but what if they're bigger, tougher, more powerful? Then, then who do we hurt? We hurt ourselves or we hurt other people that may be smaller and punier and less than us that we think. In other words, my mama said a long time ago, she said, we judge others by ourselves and you find what you look for. If someone's always stealing from you, Chris, if you're always, if you're stealing from everybody, what do you think everybody's doing from you? If you're lying to everybody, what do you think everybody's doing to you? Yeah. You know, and you look for hurt, you find hurt. You know, if you're a hurtful person, if you're hurt and you can't recover from that hurt, you end up hurting all kinds of other people. You live by hurt. If you view life as a, from a racist perspective, are you going to find it? 
Absolutely, you can find racism underneath this chair if you want to find it right there. But God wants us to focus on different things. And that's what he's going to say too. In this world where everyone's hurting, he says, learn how to love. In other words, instead of always thinking about the hurt, in other words, try, the way you deal with this hurt is by replacing it. Let me ask you a question. What did, what did I replace all my drugs with? Yeah, do you know what? Years after, a few years after I got married, I go to my, my wife's mother's farm in Nebraska, and I'm walking around the farm, and I walk out there in the pasture, and guess I was surrounded by? A field of weed. <laughs> She's got marijuana six, seven foot tall. I'm going through this marijuana field, and there's buds on it. I got kicked out of a college dorm for growing that stuff, so I know a little bit about it. But what I'm saying is, dude, it was everywhere. Let me ask you a question. Did I have any desire for it? Absolutely not. And the reason, and, and I'm not preaching against weed or please don't, admit, don't understand. What I'm saying is whatever it is that's your distraction away from reality, from whatever God wants, Jesus got to be that drug. How did I get rid, did, did I have to walk through it and say, all right, I have to walk through this field of weed in order to get home. And as soon as I can get through, then I'm going to be good. And I got to resist it, resist it, resist it, resist it. Is that what I did? You know what? I had absolutely no desire for it. In fact, you know what it did? It made me rejoice because I'm now walking through looking at buds and I'm like thinking, I'm not trying to figure out where to stash this and store it so my wife and my mother-in-law doesn't find or whatever. I'm walking through it saying, dude, I got no desire for it. Years later, I'm on a mission field in Jamaica. Oh, guess what I used to walk through in Jamaica? <laughs> yeah, dude. And I had no desire because, is it because I had to resist? Oh, I smelled. Hey, you know what? I am so old. How many of y'all are so old that when you smelled a skunk in the past, it was actually a skunk? <laughs> dude, I'm still, I'll be at a gas station. I'll be like, oh, honey, you smell that polecat? Oh, no, dude, somebody's smoking weed right next to us. It's like... Literally, I'm not resisting it. I don't want anything to do with it because I have, everybody say, replaced it. Say, replaced it. That's it. The answer to all our addictions, the answer to all of our distractions is to replace it. If you are so in love with Christ, nothing else matters. And that's what's got to happen. And that's what he's going to show us in the word today. He said, guys, you're going to be hurt so bad in this world. And God's going to allow you to be hurt. Now, you can just try to live with that and try to hurt other people and live hurt, have your own pity party and tell everybody how hurt you are. How many of y'all love, how many of y'all know people that are hurt and that's all they talk about? Okay, and, and, and they're hurting. That's why they want to talk about it. They need a solution. Maybe God's got you here so you can show them the scripture. But how many of them, when they call you, like, oh, dang. <laughs> how many when you see him, you're like, oh, man, here he goes again. I'm gonna hear the whole story. I already know it. You know, you, you can listen to it and listen to it, but there's a solution to it. There's a victory from it. And we've got to replace it. And it's like any other thing. We can't keep resisting. We can't keep living it. We've got to replace it. When you replace it with something better, you don't even have to worry about it, right? That's what we're talking about today. So check this out real quick. In a world that is hurting, we need to learn to love. Hey, so if you have to learn something, hey, Jules, dude, I didn't know your mouth could open that big when you yawn. That is, your whole foot, hand could have fit in there. Oh my goodness. Hey, if you have to learn something, what does that mean? 
Do you already know it? No. If you have to learn something, it means that you don't already know it. And that's, that's what, what is this? It, we don't know how to love. <laughs> we know how to hurt, but we have to learn to love. And what he's going to tell us, we learn to love through the word of God. So check this out. We start out with the world that's hurting. And so, so Peter's telling his congregation, he's telling these people, don't hurt. He's telling people that are going to get tied up as garden torches for garden parties, don't hurt. People are thrown to the lions, don't hurt. People are persecuted to have nothing because they've lost everything because they've given their life to Christ. Don't hurt. Don't hurt. And I'm telling you, don't hurt. And that goes two ways, right? Don't hurt, but don't hurt. You get it? Don't hurt. Because if you hurt inside, Ashley, what are you going to do? You're going to hurt everybody on the outside. It's easy to say, but he's going to give us the solution. Don't hurt. Okay, so what am I going to do? I'm going to do something that makes me not hurt. I'm going to do something that makes me feel better. And, and, and it's temporary. He says, no, no, don't hurt because you're going to hurt. Don't hurt. And he starts off with the don't hurt part in the very first verse. Look at this. He says, so put away. Hey, your mom ever tell you, oh, there's that yawn again, dude. I'm telling you, that whole cell phone could have fit in there. Don't. All right, so he says, put away. Does your mom ever say, Selma, I mean, not Selma, Jules, put away, put away. What does it mean when she wants you? What does she, what does she ever want you to put away? What's her favorite thing for you to put away? What, what does she always say? Put away. Huh? Your toys. Okay, so if you have to put away your toys, what does that mean? They're not going to put themselves away. You have to physically pick up your own toys. You poor child. Oh, my goodness, you have to physically put them up and put them away because they're not where they belong right now. That's what put away means is to take something that doesn't belong being there and put it somewhere else where it belongs. And so he says, put away and he's saying, get rid of these things that are in your life. And that's where we stop. Sometimes we might preach on this one verse. Put away, put away. And I tell you, hey, don't be mad. Don't be envious. Don't be all these things. Now go ahead and have a good day. And you know what you do? You resist every time you get ready to want to hurt somebody. I'm not going to hurt them. I'm not going to hurt them. Oh, I hurt them. You know, uh, I, I, man, I'm, I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm not going to be. Oh, I had to. Oh, I'm not going and, to. And that's not the answer. He's telling us what not to do, but then he's going to tell us what to do. And if you do what you're supposed to do, you won't. That's how you put away these other things. Again, Jesus has got to be your drug. He says, put away all malice. Anybody, that word malice. Uh, I kind of had a hard time when I was listening to that. Malice, what is malice? When's the last time I said, dude, I'm going to do some malice to you, <laughs> you know? But when's the last time you heard that? But how about malicious behavior? You heard about malicious behavior? Back, what is malicious behavior? Yeah, okay, it's going to hurt somebody. That is malicious behavior. You're going to hurt somebody. So um, that doesn't mean physically necessarily. There's a lot of ways to hurt somebody. Who would you want to hurt in your carnal self when you are not filled with the Spirit? Come on, I know all you guys are too pious, but for those you can, tell me about your neighbor, okay? When, when your neighbor wants to be malicious, who is it that, who is it that they want to hurt? Reno? All right, go ahead. Who, who's that? People that hurt you. Yeah. Dude, Terry, do you know what season we're in? Did you see? Not the leaves changing color. The license plates are changing color. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I did see some Michigan plates. That's in Florida. Once you become a local, dude, 
you're like a snowbird and you're a, a snowflake. You know, you fall on us and dissipate, falls and dissipate. Then you become a snowbird and you stay long or you stay long. Then you become a transplant and you're here and you didn't understand why everybody had all this malicious behavior towards you on the road, right? And then you move here, right? Come here. Hey, how, how long did it take you to become a local and realize that your life was going to drastically change when everybody fell on you for the season? Yeah, a week, a week or two. Within six weeks, she had a local sticker, at least in her heart, <laughs> right? <laughs> By the way, welcome back, Mac and Holly. <laughs> but you guys are here longer than, you know, yeah. He's been, how long y'all been coming here? Yeah, so, so you, know, you know how to be a local, right? You actually are a local in all of that. But, Tara, yeah, we're getting ready to hit snowbird season. Have you ever exemplified malicious behavior towards snowbirds while you're driving? Has anybody here ever exemplified malicious behavior towards snowbirds? Yeah. Now, you guys are like, oh, my goodness, they're actually admitting this. Look at the look on your husband's face right there. He's like, I can't believe he's even talking about that. You know, hey, we're just I told you if we don't scare you off, welcome to the family, brother. But literally and once you move here you figure all of that out and, and so malicious so you might be looking at, oh malicious behavior i'm not guilty of malicious behavior i challenge you ask the holy spirit of god to reveal in your heart if you've ever wanted to hurt somebody <laughs> how many of y'all right now do that say holy spirit have i ever wanted to hurt somebody how many of you have just had an instant answer from god you're not you are guilty you're guilty we have malicious. That's why Peter said, put it away. The desire to hurt somebody. And it doesn't have to be physical with a car or with a big Jeep with giant bumpers and tires that can run them over. Not that Terry does that, but he just scares him and acts like he's going to. Right. But but how many of you have ever tried to hurt somebody with just some words? They hurt you and you try to throw some words right back there. And the purpose of those words were to hurt them. Have you ever done that? Yeah, because that's what they deserved. That's what we thought. So Peter says, put away malicious behavior, the desire to hurt somebody, an unforgiving spirit. Hey, we were talking about finding what you look for and, and judging others by yourself. If you hold a grudge and never, forget any, never forgive anyone, what do you think other people are doing? Yeah, holding a grudge with you. You know what? It, the, one of the most dangerous things about an unforgiving spirit is you can't receive forgiveness. That's the worst thing about it. And the worst part about that is when you can't receive forgiveness from God because you are an unforgiving person. That's why you forgive. That's why you get rid of this malicious behavior. That's why you get rid of the grudges and the, and the hurts that you're holding because if that's how you're viewing life, that's how you're viewing life. And you even view God that way. Well, I don't see how God could forgive me for that. I don't see how that can happen. And, and you know what? There's people, two things I have found out in dealing with people, more than forgiving other people for things they've done, most people need to forgive God and they need to forgive themselves. Most people that I've dealt with in 30-something years of pastor need to forgive God and they need to forgive themselves when you boil it back down. And so he says, man, put away this malicious behavior, this desire to hurt someone, this unforgiving spirit. So that's easy. How many of y'all would say right now I'm working on and working on could be I'm trying to develop the want to the desire to forgive somebody or I'm in the process of forgiving them how many of y'all are, are, are have 
are dealing with forgiveness at all in your life right now. Yeah. So here I am, verse 1. The Word of God says forgive them now. Now go home and do it. I sound like the Wizard of Oz, don't I? I'm giving you a, I'm giving you a command, but I'm not giving you a solution. And so often that's what we hear. I know I'm supposed to do this. So now if I know I'm supposed to do something and I'm not doing it, who do I need to forgive? Myself, because I'm not doing what God wants me to do. You see how it just keeps building? So you're going to get a solution in verse 2. He says, put away all. How much malice do we put away? All. And dude, in a few short months, dude, you know how many all malices there are going to be as we drive down US-1, the hell simulator? From Jensen Beach down to Fort Pierce, up to Fort Pierce. How many actions of potential malice? And what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount you actually had to kill somebody to kill them physically? No, he said even if you do what? Even if you just think about it, it's murder. So how many people have you murdered on US-1? I'm just saying, literally. But you understand that's what he's saying? I'm, I'm talking about that, but you have your own incense. What people do, maybe in your little condo association, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your job, wherever you live. He says, put away that malicious behavior, the desire to hurt someone, that unforgiving spirit. And it starts by, God, I want to forgive. Or if you don't want to forgive, God, give me the desire to forgive. And look at this, and all deceit. This word deceit comes from the Greek word that's talking about a bait, bait on a fish hook. <laughs> there was only one time in life I ever caught fish with no bait on a gold hook. And that was just because they were dumb catfish and they thought the gold hook was all shiny and was a fish itself. But what do you have to put on a hook? You got to put bait. Something, something on it. So this deceit is putting bait on a hook. It's clever words or actions for the purpose of doing what? Read what I said up there. Getting what you want. Have you ever been clever with your words and your actions to get what you want? In other words, have you ever played your parents? <laughs> yeah. You need to work on lying, okay? That's all I'm saying right now. <clears throat> you guys ever play your parents? Sophie, you are so smart. Do you play your mom the same way you play your dad? Or do they, are they two different, two different games? Oh, I, I'm not blowing your cover. Dude, you have their genes. They did the same thing to their parents. That's where you got it from. But are they not two different games? Do you ever have to get creative to get what you want from your parents? How about that? Do you ever have to get creative? Your laugh gives you away. How many of you have ever got to, had to be clever or creative to get what you want? Any of y'all have ever had to do that? Yeah. He says, put that away. Because you know what? When we're, create, when we're deceitful and clever and creative trying to get what we want, you know what we often get? I'll give you a hint. It's bait on a fish hook. We get something we don't really want. If God wants us to have it, how does that go down? If God wants to have some, how did that go down? He hooks us up, pardon the pun. We get it. We get it. He gives it to us. In fact, you know what? what did, does anybody know? He says in the Ten Commandments, he says, thou shalt not covet. If you break that commandment, coveting, it can cause you to break every other single one. You will steal. You will lie. You will cheat. You will do everything if you covet something. What is coveting? Mac, how would you describe coveting? I want something that uh, somebody else has. Yeah. So, okay, I want something. I'll go with that. That somebody else has. 
But who doesn't want you to have it? God, because he didn't give it to you. Okay, you know, now I'm just using this illustration. Gary wants your wife. Is that a problem? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Gary's like, no, dude, I already got one. I don't want another one, man. We're good. No, but, but it, because Holly is whose wife? Who gave that wife to you, Mac? God. If God wanted her to be Gary's wife, who would he have given her to? Gary. And he didn't. He gave her to you. And so coveting is wanting something that God didn't give you. And it's wanting, and, and we have ways. How many of you ever got what you coveted? You, you're good enough, resourceful enough, astute enough, deceitful enough, full of malicious behavior enough, creative and all that to get what you want. Covetousness is getting what God doesn't want you to have. How many of you, if I were just to say, hey, Amy, do you want what God doesn't want you to have? No. But the answer is yes. <laughs> Dude, how many of y'all have a list on Amazon? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How many have more than one list on Amazon? I'm just saying, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying there are things we want that, and how many of you are creative enough and good enough to make it happen to get what you want? Yeah. I was thinking the other day, there was a gun for sale. Man, oh, a beautiful 30-06 BDL Remington 700. Beautiful from the old days. And it was $425. I was thinking of which child I could sell, and none of them live at my house anymore. I was trying to think, oh, my goodness. And, and, and it ended up it was for my son. My son's buying it instead. But I literally was thinking, what could I sell that I have? What could I sell so I could get that? Because, and in reality, God didn't even want me to have it. He wanted my son to have it. But how often can we finagle and make things happen to get what we want? And that's what he's saying. That's the purpose. That's what malice ends up being. He says, put away malice, desire to hurt someone, and all deceit, your clever words and actions to get what you want, and hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, which is misrepresenting yourself in some way, shape, or form. We told you before this word hypocrisy. It was where in the Greek theater they had a wall, and they would have a backdrop, and on the back of it they would have different masks. And one dude, that's why the theater uh, is two masks, happy and a sad one. Because the dude would go behind the actor and he'd put on the mask of a female and go, oh, hey, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. You know, and then he'd come back and he'd say, oh, hey, I'm a villain, I'm a villain. He'd put on a mask and he'd be a different person with each mask that he got. That's what a hypocrite is. So have you ever put on different masks to be able to get what you want? Do you hate yourself when you do that? Do you feel like, oh, I did that again. Oh, my goodness. Being deceitful. You see how it all works together? He says, so if you had to describe what he's wanting you to be, what, would one word, what one word would you use to describe what he wants you to be? What's that? Godly. Say that again. Godly. Godly. Okay. But he says, don't be malicious. He said, don't be deceitful. Don't be a hypocrite trying to be something that you're not. He even goes on being envious and stuff. He wants you to be honest. He wants you to be who you are. Hey, Julie, who created you? And did God make any mistakes when he created you? Do you always think that way? Do you look in the mirror and say, God, I realize in your omniscient omnipotence and omnipresence, you created me perfectly. Or do we, how many of y'all have moments sometimes when you look in the mirror and you're like, dang. Yeah, and Terry, you're like, yeah, well, that was AJ's that created that. No, <laughs> but... But literally, he created us. Hey, and if you're not being you, who are you being? 
Somebody else, okay. Hey, John, when you're being somebody else, are you being as good at being somebody else as you are at being yourself? No. no. And if you don't think it's worth being you, hey, Julie, if you don't think it's worth being you, is there anybody else thinking it's worth being you? No. And so God created you for a purpose in this planet for there to be a Julie here, a Julie Marshall. And, and if you're not being you, nobody's being you. And you know what you're doing? You're ripping the world off. He's saying, I created you, and to be you. Be you. Man, I'm going to be a spirit-filled you. And be yourself. Be who I created you to be because you are important here. So that's why he says, put away all deceit. Put away, put away that malicious behavior. Don't be a hypocrite. And don't be envious. That goes along with the covetousness. Envious, listen to this, resenting someone else's prosperity. Hey, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten upset because someone else succeeded? Come on, let me see your little pious hand. Okay, thank you, Chris, for helping me. All right. How many of you ever seen an enemy succeed? <laughs> how, many of you ever, how many times have you ever seen somebody do something wrong? You're like, oh, they're going to get there. And then they keep succeeding. You're like, oh, you know, <laughs> the psalmist was even there in Psalm 34. But he says, man, you know what? One day it's all going to even out. I'm just going to keep being who I need to be for God. But should we envy anyone? No, because we don't know the whole story in this. And this is how God made us. So he says, don't be a, don't be have hypocrisy. Don't resent others prosperity and all slander. Put away slander. That's hurtful gossip and not spices. Y'all didn't get my note on that one there. But it was uh, one of the commentators I was reading said spicy slander. <laughs> I like that, don't you? What's the difference between just slander and spicy slander <laughs> come on somebody help me out They're like popeyes dude what's the difference between plain slander and spicy slander susan what's spicy slander oh come on man who know ryan what is spicy slander oh it's different got a little kick to it man it's like Woo! I taste some spicy slander. Dude, try this? This is some spicy slander. How many of y'all just want plain old slander? Dude, don't we like spicy slander? Come on, man. Something good. Isn't that what we're looking for in the news? Some more spicy slander on the opponent of our favorite politician, whoever that might be? Aren't we hoping they come up with some spicy slander? Or that somebody even recognizes their spicy slander? I'm just saying spicy slander. He says, you know what? Don't be a part of spicy slander you got more important things to do. So look at this again. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. Uh, I'm going to go back. And I just want you to see what he says. Put away any desire you have to hurt somebody because it's showing you have an unforgiving spirit. Put away all deceit where you're trying to be deceitful to, and clever to get what you want. He says, don't be a hypocrite trying to be something that you're not. Man, that was one of the greatest things about becoming a Christian is I could be myself. I didn't have to try to impress. I came from the poor section of Pine Hills. And yes, what? I got to hang out with the rich kids in Winter Park, the rich kids over in different areas and stuff. And you know what? Sometimes I changed and I didn't realize until I was myself that that was my real worth. Hypocrisy. Don't try to misrepresent yourself to be approved by others. God made you the way he made you. Don't envy them. Don't resent others' prosperity, especially if we're on the same team as believers. And don't get caught up in spicy slander. He said, instead, learn to love. Because if you get caught up in all those things, they're all things that can hurt people. 
Hey, by being a hypocrite, can you hurt somebody? Boston? Yeah. Man, how many times have we met somebody and said, oh, that's awesome. And then you get to know them. And you're like, oh, dude, they're a jerk. <laughs> Anybody? Oh, no. <laughs> where are you from, Boston? <laughs> oh, Pennsylvania. How'd you get the name? Bo Never mind. We'll talk about Boston later. <laughs> it was a, all right. All right, Indiana. <laughs> we got you. Yeah, you can hurt people through hypocrisy, right? Can you hurt people through spicy slander? Oh, my goodness. In fact, there's a proverb that says when we do that, it talk, it's like a maul, a sword, and an arrow. Okay, a maul is like a battle axe, dude. And those guys would wear a, a metal helmet. And it's like a sledgehammer. And if I hit you with that sledgehammer, dude, it creases that helmet where you can't get it on. Probably creases your skull so you can't get it off. I'm just saying, it's like, it's like there. So in order to hit somebody with a little mini sledgehammer, what has to be true? I have to be what? I got to be close. So he says, man, with spicy slander, sometimes we take things that we learn in being close to somebody and we use it and, and betray their confidence. And we, we literally crush their head by sharing things we shouldn't share that only people close to us should know. He said it's also like a sword in Proverbs. If I were to take a sword, Jules, you are not yawning. That's awesome, man. Uh, if I were to take a sword and I were to stick it through you, all right, I wouldn't do it. But if I did, and then I pulled it back out and I said, oh, I'm sorry. Let me put a Band-Aid on that. How would that be? Would that work? No, because you have a deep wound. He says, when you got that spicy slander going on, you got some deep wounds. And he said, and, and that deep wound, so have you ever said something about somebody and you realize it hurt them and then you're like, oh, I'm sorry. Anybody ever done that? Oh, I'm sorry. You just put a Band-Aid on a sword wound. Does it help? No. What would have been best if you didn't stab them with the sword to the first, begin with, right? And then he said it's like an arrow, like gossip, like an arrow. Dude, if I were to send you guys all out in the field somewhere and I were, if I were, what if I just took a bow and arrow and I shot it into one of the condo complexes? Would I, Shay, would I know, Shy, would I know where it landed if I shot it? So if it hit somebody, it really is no problem for me, right? Because I don't know where it landed. But would it be a problem for the person it landed on? Would it hurt just as bad if I'd have shot somebody? Yeah, it hurt just as bad. And that's the way that gossip is. The lie. We shoot it like an arrow. We don't even know where it lands. We don't even know who it hurt. In fact, it could have been a good broadhead that went through two people. I'm just saying. But that's the way our, that's what our spicy slander is like. We never know who it's going to hurt. So what he's saying is all these things are hurtful. And they're what hurt people do is they hurt other people. And he says, guys, I know you're getting ready to get hurt really bad through persecution. Don't do those things. He said, instead, learn to love. Look at this. And this is a pretty simple concept. He says, like newborn infants. Now, he's not saying, this is where a lot of mature believers are like, oh, he's not talking to me. I'm a mature believer. So No, he's saying, he's using an illustration that's like a brand new in, newborn infant. In fact, that word newborn is kind of a complex word in the Greek. It means born just now. Brand spanking new. What was one of the first things, man, you had with, a, with Alana? What was one of the first things I asked you that was real important to me? Did she eat? Yeah. Because one of the first, dude, she had Alana and, and it's like, all right, did she eat? Yep, buddy, she's latching on. She's good. She's eating. Because, man, now, did you have to go through, take her to eating 101? Did you take her through a college course on how to do it? 
In fact, right now, if she, were to, if, if she was hungry and Gary was holding her, what would her mouth be doing? Show me her mouth. Come on, you've seen it more than anybody. <laughs> if, if, I don't care if any one of you were holding her. It, literally, if she's hungry, what's her mouth? Everybody show me. Come on, we're... If she was hungry, she's a little baby, and you are holding her, no matter who you are, and she's hungry, what's her mouth look like? Right? It's no different than y'all's mouths about this time of the day. No, I'm just saying, but yeah. In other words, he says, just like that brand new infant that's just born, it has one intense recurring insatiable desire and what is that intense recurring insatiable desire that the baby has what to eat yes and it's got to be special yeah she wants to eat ashley is that true she wants to eat uh, even more so than maybe even have her diaper change more so than anything she wants to eat so look at this, just like that brand new, born just now infant, he says, you long for, and this is a special Greek word that means intense, reoccurring. Hey, did you have to feed her that one day? And it's like, oh, good, she's good for life. There we go. Why can't you just leave her with other people? Because they don't, you, I can take care of her. I mean, I know there's bottles and pumps and all that junk, but I'm just saying, Dude, there's nothing like mama, <laughs> you know? It is an intense. It, would you say that her desire to eat is intense? Yeah, what happens? Hey, Boston, what, would hap what happens if she wants to eat and she wants to eat now and it's not available right now? What do you think would happen? Oh, dude, yeah, she's just going to cry. Anybody want to elaborate on how she's going to cry? <laughs> yeah? You ever heard a baby that wants to eat? Dude, does anything else? Now, calm down. Mom and dad, we're almost here. We're almost now, Does she care about anything else? No, and it's intense. He said, man, that's the way to, to overcome this hurt in your life so you don't hurt others. You need to have an intense desire for something that it, like this newborn baby. It's got to be as intense, reoccurring. How often you feed her, you think? Every three hours, dude. Good, you can tell she's my kid, but or my, you know, jeans, you know. I'm her grand dude, how about that? <laughs> yeah, every three hours she wants to eat. Yeah, just get away, it'll be sooner than that. All right, so it's reoccurring. Terry, do you eat reoccurring? Yeah, you don't just eat one meal a day, one meal a week. Anybody here snackers, man? <laughs> snackers, that is reoccurring. And so keep that in mind for this. Intense, reoccurring, oh my goodness, insatiable. What would insatiable mean? What do you think insatiable means? Help me out. What's that? Yeah, it, in, in other words, you're done. and all. If you're done, you finish that meal, what do you want? Dude, I want another one. <laughs> Thank you, I'll have another. Thank you, I'll have another. You want one piece of cake? Yeah, can I have another? You know? Oh, you want to try this? Yes. In other words, she can't ever get enough. So he says to overcome hurt in your life so you don't hurt others, you have to have an intense, reoccurring, insatiable desire for something. Now, what is Keone looking so forward to doing that you have to always guard that he's not going to do with Alana? Yeah, there's a lot of things, but feed her something, right? Yeah. Uh, what would happen if Keone like, takes like a Coca-Cola and starts dumping it down her throat? What happens if he just took water? I mean, water's good, right? Don't we all drink water? What would happen if Keone starts pouring water in her? What does she need to drink right now? Milk. 
She needs to drink mother's milk because for all kinds of reasons, she needs to drink that for her nutrition. So there's only one thing that she should have an intense, reoccurring, insatiable desire for, and that is the pure milk. That's what he says, the pure, not diluted or contaminated spiritual milk. Hey, so do you put some little Nestle Quick in there to give her a little variety? <laughs> How about some chocolate syrup, you know? You know, no, you certainly don't put poison in there, right? Do you put anything in it? Dude, it's got to be pure because that's what's required. So he says, if you want to get rid of the hurt in your life, so you don't hurt other people. It's not like, oh, I want to do some malice to that person on the road right now. I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist. Because Terry, what happens when we resist? We resist for 23 hours and 49 minutes. But what happens that one minute? We blow it. Anybody ever blown it? You ever resisted most of the day and you blow it at the end? And you're like, oh, I'm such a failure. Oh, or you say, well, I feel good. And then you go on to the next ones. Resisting doesn't work. I don't care what you're trying to kick. I'm not going to get high. I'm not going to get high. I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to let them get to me. I'm not going to let them get to me. Ah, they got to me. <laughs> Anybody been there? Resisting doesn't work. That's part of it. But the goal is to replace. You've got to replace it. And he's saying replace it. You've got to find out what this, this milk is to a baby and replace it in your own life. And when you find that replacement, that replacement will take away the hurt in your own life and it, will, and it will cause you not to hurt others. Wouldn't that be good if we had no hurt? I don't want to make you raise your hand and say, how many of y'all got hurt in your life? Because I know people well enough that if we dug deep enough, I know there's hurts. We, ha we hurt. But if you love God, he causes you to what? Love others. And that's what the goal is here. We got to replace our hurts so we don't hurt others, but we replace it with God. And how do we get to know about him? Look what he says. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. What is the pure spiritual milk? The word of God. So I'm not asking you out of some legalistic thing, you know, of how much time you spend in God's word. You know, do you spend six hours a day every morning? Do you spend three hours? You know, do you, you know, well, I read the whatever bread it is. <laughs> What's that one that, what? oh, what is it? Yeah, daily bread. I read this or I read this or I read this. Dude, you know what I want you to do, man? I want you to open up the word of God. How many of y'all have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Do you know he is the author? That's like going to a book signing and sitting down and having the dude right there next to you showing you as you're reading, hey, Tell me about that. Hey, tell me about that. And the author's actually kind of helping you understand what's behind the scenes in all of it. You have the author living inside of you. And if you don't, you can. You just got to invite them. Just open the word of God up. Here's what I think is our problem in our society is that we don't like to not know something. And so we read like this little verse and like, I don't really know what that verse means because some preacher spent three hours preaching on just that one verse. I can't go on till I know what this verse is and what this verse is. You know what? This, these were written as letters. Do you understand the book of Revelation as complex as that is to us? You understand it was sent to seven churches and they just opened it up and just read it all at once. They just bam, 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 read it all at once. And they're like, oh yeah, that's awesome. It was written in their context. 
You know, well, what does all the beasts mean? What does this mean? Well, imagine if we were to write something about Apple computers right now and send it back 2,000 years. And now they're trying to read it the way we read the Bible, right? Apple computers are better than personal computers. And then they have to go, we're going back 2,000 years and they read Apple computer. Okay, I know what an apple is. It's the English word for a fruit that's red. Okay, so that computer, what does computer mean? Oh my goodness. You know, that's how we try to read the Bibles. We try to figure all that out instead of letting the author show us. And in context, we miss it. Read the whole thing. Sometimes read the Bible with a telescope instead of a microscope. How many of y'all read anything? Okay, you read stuff. What do you read? Oh, you're reading school books right now, right? Okay, so you're reading. So, so do you read one sentence and then you're like, okay, got to figure out the whole meaning of this book from the one sentence. And then I can go on to the next sentence. And then how long would it take you to read? Yeah, what do you read, Jimmy? Oh, amen. Yeah, and sometimes he's got the Bibles broke up into stories. Read a story. Just read a story and mull that over. Chew on it all day. But so often, people try to read one little piece. Can you imagine if, if on one of your novels, you, you read one sentence and tried to figure out the meaning of the book, and then you go, okay, tomorrow I'll go on to the next sentence, and the next sentence. You'd never get through it, right? And many people don't know the whole big picture of the Bible because they've never read it. How long do you think it would take you to read it cover to cover if you didn't stop? There's a challenge for you right there. Instead of doing all this studying and everything, and I'm not saying studying is bad. You can go to Bible studies. You can go to different stuff. But for you, take it and just read it. Man, read five, six chapters. Say, God, what do you want me to see out of this? Read some more. What do you want me to see out of this? Read. Start reading and read until he tells you to stop. He may stop you after a verse. He may stop you after a chapter. He may stop you after a book. But read it, because look what he says, like newborn infants long for, they have an intense, recurring, insatiable desire. You know, why does she have that desire? God put it in her, but let me ask you a question. She, if, if, if that was lemonade coming out right now, would she be wanting to go back for more? Probably not. She likes it, right? Once you get a taste of it, dude, it's like, ooh, that's good. I want some more. And that's what this next verse shows us right here. He says that by it, you may grow only if you drink it, only if you take it and into salvation. You mature as a believer by reading his word. Is there any other way to mature as a believer? No, it starts with his word. You read his word and you apply it to your life. Raise your hand if you use deodorant today. Oh, I see that hand out. You're not sure of your deodorant, right? But yeah. We used it. Ryan, you didn't just look at it in the cabinet or look at it and say, that's deodorant. It's made to make my underarm smell better. I know I got it. And there it is. And not, what happens if you don't put it on? You stink. <laughs> All right. And it will work on people. It works, right? <laughs> you confident about that? <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Unlike deodorant, the word of God does work on everyone. <laughs> I will say that. Not that it doesn't work on you, Ryan. I'm not something I'm saying. But listen, man. He said, if you will invest your life in this word, man, and let God speak to you, you'll grow. But only if you apply it. 
And you'll grow up into salvation, which is what he's talking about, which is maturity. Salvation doesn't start, start or stop the minute you get saved. There's a process called sanctification where you grow daily. And one day there's glorification where you become like him. We're in between right now. But the word of God is going to take it. How many of you have ever been in the word of God? And he gave you direction and kept you out of trouble. How many of you have ever been in the word of God? You got direction and he gave you encouragement. He gave you hope. He gave you peace. He, this is where we learn to love. God is love. So if God is love, how are we going to learn what love is? Oh, wait, I know. We're going to let society define love for us, right? Does society not have some pretty whacked ideas on what love is right now? And it further gets from God. If we start living by their definitions, man, we're going to totally miss it. We've got to be in the word of God to know what love actually is. So he said, that might, you may grow only if you drink it or, 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 or it'll take you up to salvation. Look at this. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. <laughs> he said, don't bother doing this unless you've already tasted and you know the Lord is good. Anybody ever had a taste of the Lord and it was good? Can you remember that? Remember how good it was? Dude, you know all I'm thinking of right now? Linda brought me home some like leftovers from that shower. How do y'all eat in a shower, man, without food getting wet and all that? Oh. Anyways, I'm, I'm just being stupid as a guy. But, listen, but she brought me food back. And I'm like, ooh, what are these? And I'm looking, they're stuffed mushrooms. Anybody here like stuffed mushrooms? Oh, that, I was even like cooking some stuff up. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, some stuff. And they were not just stuffed mushrooms. They were Fernandez stuffed mushrooms. Do you like Fernandez stuffed mushrooms? Yeah. Huh? Oh, you're not a mushroom guy? I am. Dude, you can make those anytime. Those were awesome. And there was about five or six of them, four or five, whatever on there. And it was just like, hmm, I tasted one. I'm like, woo, I'm trying to figure out what's inside it. Anybody ever eat stuff and try to figure out what's inside so you can make it yourself, right? That's what I do. Ooh, there's some uh, thyme, there's some whatever. I'm eating it. I'm like, dude, that is good. And there's like three or four or five more. So do I want another one because that one was good? Yeah. So I grab another one. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to run out. I better slow down. <laughs> I better slow down. And I'm like, oh, I'm, now, I'm, now I'm not eating in one bite because they were about that big. I'm only, I'm eating like two bites. And then I'm eating three. I'm eating it because, oh my goodness, the first one tasted so good. But the problem is with those stuffed mushrooms, they run out. Hey, if you taste God, if he tastes good. And let me ask you a question. Will a plate of God ever run out? No, dude, it's going to keep going. That's what he's saying. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, how can you taste Christ and not want anymore? If you will replace your hurt and your desire and ability to hurt other people. <laughs> this stuff mushrooms got you going? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> she didn't get anything on you, did she, Sophie? <laughs> that's what happens when you yawn during church. You suck in all that air and then it comes out through your esophagus again, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll have a diagram for that next week. No. <laughs> but listen, man. He said, if you'll take the hurt you have instead of translating that into hurt for other people, if you'll just spend your time in his word until you develop the same kind of desire that a baby, brand new baby has for its mom's milk. Man, it's insatiable. It's reoccurring, man. It's, 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 it's an intense desire. When you develop that same desire, guess what happens with hurts? They turn into helps. 
you now have a way to help others see life from God's perspective. Are you going to have any, heart, any, any trouble? Hey, Nikki, are you going to have any trouble trying to find somebody who's hurting in this society? Everyone's hurting. What if you had the solution? And do you know that's why you were left here? God wants you to live in his word and develop that love and desire for his word so that you then can have your hurts healed and then firsthand you can tell somebody, dude, this is good, try one. And you can teach them to do that. Last, uh, the last, I got I to share this because just because God put it on my heart from James. James says in his book, this is the brother of Jesus who probably spent more time than even Peter did. But he said, be quick to hear. You guys know this verse? Quick to hear. Slow to what? Slow to, slow to speak. Because <laughs> uh, that's usually we're quick to speak and slow to hear. He says, be slow to hear. In other words, listen, 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 listen. Slow to speak and slow to what? Blow. He said, because whatever you can do is not going to accomplish the righteousness of God. He said, but instead, he said, let the engrafted word of God rescue your souls. So what does he say is going to rescue your soul? The word of God, only if you do what with it? You allow it to be engrafted. Now, growing up in Orlando, before Pine Hills became Crime Hills, we had orange groves everywhere. Anybody ever grew up in orange groves, man? Anybody familiar with orange groves? And I got to tell you a story, because what would happen is I'd see the old man coming. My granny, she invented numerous oranges that we'll never be able to taste again because they bulldozed them and made housing developments over them. But, man, these guys would come, and I'd go hide up in the tree as a kid and look down, and I'd watch these old dudes pick an orange, and they would cut it with their pocket knife, and they'd eat some, and then they didn't buy oranges. You know what they bought? They bought branches. They'd buy branches off that tree if the orange tasted good. And on that branch would be a bunch of buds, little buds, and what I found out they would do is that they would take sour root stock. Uh, if orange, whenever we had freezes in Orlando and the oranges froze back, all that was left was sour root stock. If you just let that grow, you'd get these big old nasty lemons and there'd be thorns all over them and everything. So to get an orange or something that you like, you have to graft it and put one of those buds in from a good citrus. And so um, what they would do is buy the buds. They would take the sour root stock and they would, what would they have to do to the trunk to, enable, to put a bud in? They would have to cut it. Ooh. They would literally cut a good trunk, but it was for the purpose of taking one of the buds from the good citrus and put it in. They would put hormone and they would wrap it up and protect it from bugs. There were different things they would use. And guess what eventually would start growing out of that sour root stock? A tree, a branch that would actually produce that fruit. In fact, we used to sell to the tourists these fruit cocktail trees. I don't know how well they lasted, but you could take and you'd graft a grapefruit, a navel orange, a tangerine, or whatever, and, and they would buy these trees. They weren't real effective, but we, the tourists liked them back in the day. And, uh, but but so, so in order for that word to be engrafted in us, the word is like that bud that's going to produce fruit, Right. In order for that word to be engrafted in us, what does God have to do to us as the trunk? Cut us. So when that hurt comes, you can look at it like, oh, they hurt me and I'm going to hurt them. I hurt, I'm tired of this world. Or you can see from God's perspective and say, God wants to take a bud of his word and he wants to grow some fruit in my life. But in order for that to happen, you got to get cut. So you get to choose to see which, what that cut is for. God wants to grow some fruit. 
And by the way, does Vicky, does a fruit tree grow? I know you're from California and y'all had oranges too, right? Hey, Vicky. The, 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 uh, not in your neighborhood, right? You live in subdivision, but <laughs> does, does a fruit tree grow fruit for itself? No, because fruit tree doesn't eat fruit, right? It grows it for others. And that's what our Christian life is supposed to be here. When you get cut, Tatiana, and you get cut, <laughs> why are you laughing? Good, but when you get cut, amen. Remember, the reason God's allowing you to be cut is so he can take a piece of his word and now it can grow in your life. And when it grows, it produces fruit and others get to pick that fruit and enjoy it if you handle your cut the right way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thanks for giving us this word. Um, Father, um, I know this is what you wanted me to share today. Um, Father, you've spoken to me in so many ways. I pray that you would speak to each heart. I pray, Father, as we live in this world that is so full of hurt, that instead of just falling right in place and being hurt and hurting others, however minimal or maximal that is, Father, I pray that instead we would do what we're supposed to do with it. I pray we would fall in love with your word like a baby um, loves its mother's milk, Father. Help us develop that. Father, I pray that you would put such a desire in us that when we go to sleep at night, we can't wake up can't wait to wake up and be in your word the next morning and be with you. Father, if we don't have that desire, just help us pray for that desire where we desire that more than anything because you tell us through this passage that is the key to dealing with hurt. You show us so many things in your word and you show us what priorities are. You show us why things happen and it's got to be found in your word. So help us fall in love with your word. As, as we fall in love with your word, we know it's all about you, and we fall in love with you, and we love you more, and we do crazy things for people we're in love with. So, Father, if there's somebody here that's never fallen in love with you, someone who's never given their life to you, I pray that today they would do that, and I pray they'd surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you, and that relationship would start. So help us. Not just try to resist malicious behavior, resist being deceitful, resist putting on fronts, resist envious behavior. I pray instead we'd just replace it and you'd be our drug. And just like me, have no desire for those drugs anymore. Father, I pray we'd have no desire for sin anymore because all our desire is for you. Help us learn how to replace wrong desires with the right thing. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.